The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, 11 a.m. How you guys doing? Here you are. You made it. You're alive. You made it to church. Thanks for coming. You guys, your salvation is secure because you made it here on this horrible morning. I'm just kidding. But thanks for coming to church. We're glad that you made an effort to get out here today. Um, I hope that uh, you make it home safely and everything goes well. But um, welcome to ACF. We are in a series uh, called Unstumped, and we are talking about some of the basic tenets of what we believe as Christians. And so if you're a new believer or if you're just checking out church, you have picked a great time to start coming to ACF as we talk about um, what we believe and wrestle out some of the details of these foundational beliefs. Uh, just a few things that are going on at ACF. Um, if you've never heard that we have a Wednesday night church service, uh, I want to encourage you and welcome you to be a part of that. Every week we meet on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. here at ACF Church, and so encourage you to come be a part of that. Um, we're calling it our Wednesday church plan. It's been going for a few months. We have about, I think, 150 to 200 people show up here every week, and, uh, and it's been awesome. In fact, I was at uh, a coffee shop last week and sat down, and, and this, this uh, barista comes up and introduces herself to me, and she's like, hey, just wanted to say I'm excited about that you guys are doing like a Wednesday church thing. Uh, I've been going. I, I normally work on Sundays, and so I haven't been to church in forever, and so this is a great thing for me. She's like, here's the problem. Wednesday is yoga night. And she's like, but she's like, you know what? I canceled yoga to go to church. So I was like, as a pastor, so affirmed. I'm like, we are changing the world, you guys, when people are canceling yoga to come to church. So if you haven't uh, considered that, I just encourage you. Um, this 11 a.m. service, when it's not so horrible out, is typically very full. And so we've been running out of room. And, and uh, it's also just a great chance. If you've got a friend that doesn't really want to go to church on a Sunday, because maybe Sunday feels a little bit too intimidating, for some reason it feels like, like, like a little bit more religious to go to church on Sunday for some people. Bring them on a Wednesday. Uh, it's the same service, same worship, same kids stuff downstairs. Uh, I encourage you to be a part of that. Um, we also just did our 24 hours of prayer. This is our first time that we've ever done this. Uh, we decided that we need to spend a little bit more time as a community being a people of prayer. We say that we pray. Uh, we say that we value prayer. But uh, this is our way of putting our money where our mouth was. And so I signed up for the 2 a.m. shift, um, which I was kicking myself for at about 1.30 a.m. when my alarm was going off. And I'm like, what, what was I thinking? Uh, but I got here, and I sat down. We had like a little living room set up right here, a little bit of music going, some candles lit. And I spent the first 15 minutes like wandering around just fidgety, you know? Have you ever tried to pray and you just, like, I, I don't know, I feel like I'm supposed to be able to focus, but I can't focus. And so I was, like, coiling cords up on the stage and picking up trash around the room. And I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta get into this. And so I sat down and couldn't, couldn't focus sitting. And so I came right here and I just got on my knees 
And for me, um, posture makes a difference. Um, when I get on my knees, for, the, for some reason, it's a, I mean, it's a symbol of submission. And so it does something in my heart when I do that. And so if you ever struggle talking to God, um, I'd encourage you, get on your knees. It, it, uh, it does help just to kind of to hear God better for some reason. And so I spent, I think, 30, 45 minutes praying for you guys, uh, praying for our city, praying over these seats. And so just so you know, if you're new um, or if you weren't a part of that um, and you're here today, your seat has been prayed over. The spot that you're sitting, we have prayed that God would speak to you, would move in your heart, and that he'd show up and you'd see how real he is in your life. And so know that today. Know that we're praying for our city and praying that God would do amazing things in our community. And, and we're seeing some cool stuff happen as a church. We really feel like there's uh, some opportunities coming for ACF and for, um, for the kingdom of God in our city. And so we just want to be people who are submitting ourselves to God through prayer. Um, it's a great thing. And so thanks for being a part of that. Anybody part of the 24-hour prayer? We've got a few of you in this room. Awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. And keep praying. Um, and if you were at home and you prayed in bed, thank you so much for that as well. Um, you were talking to God just as well. So um, this week we are talking about the, the, the second piece of, of, of salvation and a life in Christ. The first piece that we talked about last week was that Jesus is our, our rescuer. That I described us as people without a heartbeat, people with no breath in our lungs, that literally we are helpless and in need of a Savior. I talked about sin, which is a fun conversation. A lot of people hate the word sin. And I define sin as, as, as a distortion of God's perfect plan for humanity. A distortion of God's perfect plan for humanity. And so we have all kinds of things in our life that are sin, that are slight distortions or great distortions of what God's perfect plan for us is. And so dealt with that a little bit, defined us all as sinful people. In all reality, we do the wrong thing very easily. You know, if you leave me to my own devices, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt myself. I'm going to hurt the people around me. That's just what I'm going to naturally do. So we are, at our core, sinful people apart from Christ. When we become Christians, when God rescues us through Christ, now we are no longer those sinful people. Now we are identified with Christ and who he is. And so if this is all getting a little heady for you, if you're like, Brian, I just, I don't know, man. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor. I'm just trying to raise my kids, just trying to do a good job at work, you know. I'm just trying to get through school. I totally get that. But our theology, understand our theology is what will drive our lives. And theology is simply the belief in God, like what you believe about God. And what you believe about God will define how you deal with your kids, how you um, deal with your wife or your husband, how you deal with issues at work. God will help you in that and will redefine how you live. And so we need this. We need this stuff. So press in, press through some of the, uh, the awkwardness of the theology and understand, I think God's going to change us through this. So this week, last week was Jesus our rescuer. This week is Jesus our refiner. And the, the theological term that we're going to talk about is sanctification. Everybody say, sanctification. There you go. You can take that home. You can take it to school. You can sound really holy. Um, sanctification. It's just a, like a theological term to describe being set apart. To be set apart. And at its very core, sanctification is simply obedience to God. Obedience to God. And the question that comes up, the big question in my mind is like, okay, so I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a Christian. So, you, Brian, you just said I get a new heart. I'm, uh, I'm made holy in God's eyes, but if I look at my life, it's still kind of a mess. And, and I still make decisions that don't look a whole lot like Jesus. So how do we do that? And the big question I want you just to ask yourself is, can we really get better? Can we really get better? 
Or is life just a series of, you know, finding out new problems, you know, new mistakes and new issues? Is it just this ongoing turmoil and toiling? Or can we actually get better? And I believe that we can. I believe that through Christ we can get better. And so we're kind of stuck in between. Uh, maybe you relate to this today. You're like, yeah, Brian, um, I'm kind of a mess, although I, I am a believer in Jesus. Um, Hebrews 10.14 says this. I think this is a key passage as we open this up today. Um, you can open it in your Bibles. Uh, it may not be on the screen. I don't think I have it on there. But Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering, he being Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So let me, let me read that again. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So what's being said here is simply this, that you have been made holy in Christ. You have been made right. God has changed your heart. He's breathed life into you, given you breath in your lungs. So you've been made holy. And yet also, he says, those who are being sanctified, being set apart. And so there's this interesting tension that we live in of, hey, I'm a new creation. I'm holy. I'm new. Like, God has changed me. And yet, over here, I'm still making really bad choices. And I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. And I don't really, like, love my kids like I should. And, you know, I'm, I'm lying at work or cheating at school or whatever it is. You're like, I don't get this. How could I be a new creation? And yet, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be, you know, better. And yet, I'm still this sinful, messed up being. And so there's this, I've been made holy, and yet I'm being made there's this journey that we're on to be changed by God. And coming into Easter, here's why this is so important. Coming into Easter, you guys, Easter's amazing because we don't just celebrate uh, the, the death of Christ, but the resurrection of Christ. And there's far too many Christians living in the death of Christ, but not in the resurrection of Christ. You're like, okay, he died for my sins. He covered me. And yet Christ was also resurrected so that we could live a new life. That we could experience new life in Christ. And, and so like you're kind of like, you're kind of like still under the water. The symbol of baptism is that you go under the water. And it's funny, one time I was baptizing a lady and she's like, could you just keep me under there and shake me for a little while? Like before you, she's like, you don't have no idea what I've gone through. So like just hold me under for a little bit longer before you take me out of the water. She's just like, I'm just kind of a mess. And some of you guys are just still living there. Like, Ryan, just, I'm kind of under the water. That's cool. Jesus covered my sins, you know, whatever. But then you've never really come up out of the water and identified with the life of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Um, many of you guys know uh, Pastor Josh. He's our family pastor, and uh, he does all of our, our children's ministry and our, our youth ministry. Um, and, and so Josh and I are good friends. We spend a lot of time together. And in the fall this last year, we decided to head out to uh, Kinnick Glacier. Has anybody ever driven out to Kinnick Glacier? Have you guys been out there? Yeah. So it's awesome. If, if you ever get a chance, get on a four-wheeler, get in a Jeep. You can drive out to Connect Glacier along the river there, and it's just a blast. We get out there, and it's cold and uh, frozen, and things are pretty well frozen up. And so we're standing by um, the glacier and the river and everything, and, and it's kind of icy. And so um, we're, we're dinking around there for a little while, and somebody gets the idea of getting out on the ice, right? And we're like, I don't know if we should do that. So we start tossing rocks out onto the ice. Well, they're not going through. So we feel like, that's safe. And so toss the rocks out there. But there's some like frozen boulders in the ice that we're thinking, okay, we can kind of boulder hop from boulder to boulder. And so Josh and I are looking at each other. And I jump out on the first one. 
And then he jumps out on the next one. And now it's, now it's a competition, right? And so he's out farther. He's like, look at me. I'm going farther. And so then I jump out, and he jumps out. And we're we're kind of co- competing to, to see who can get farther out. And, you know, I'm 30 yards from the edge. And all of a sudden, I realize that this ice that we're kind of messing around with is, is on top of a river. And so underneath this ice, whether it be an inch thick or many inches thick, uh, is flowing water. And it's a, it's a fast-flowing river. And so it, it occurs to me that if I go under the water, by the time I pop back up, I'm going to be 100 yards down, downstream. And, you know, no chance of survival. So I'm getting a little nervous, and Josh is still like, look at me, Brian. He's just, he, apparently he speaks like Mickey Mouse when he's jumping on rocks. But he's like, look at me, look at me. And, and so he gets farther out. He jumps over to this rock, and his foot slips. And he goes into the water, and he goes up to his, up to his, his neck in the water, like right down through the ice right down through the ice, and I'm like, so I just scream, like, Josh! I, I scream too, so I'm like, Josh! And so I'm thinking, is, is this it? I'm thinking he's gone. This is going to be it. He's going to flow underneath the ice, and I'm going to be doing youth ministry at ACF Church, and, you know, I, I'm freaking out. And at the last second, his arms go out, and they, they, he catches himself with his arms, and he does this, like, Olympic spread eagle move where he, like, pulls himself up out of the ice and gets his leg up onto the rock, and then he, he hops back over to the shore. Now he's soaking wet, you know. Luckily, we've got warm vehicles and things for him to get into, but I thought he was done, you know. I thought he, this was it for Josh. And, um, and the thing is, what you might know, not know about Josh is for the past year, every morning Josh wakes up and he goes to the gym. At 5 a.m. And I've been giving him a hard time about it forever. I'm like, listen, dude, you know, the body's going to waste away. You know, God's going to give us a new eternal body. I, w- I don't know why you're wasting your time. Just eat pizza and uh, enjoy this life because it's going to get better. And so, you know, he's been working out every single day. And he's, he's, he's getting in shape. And in that moment, here's what I know. I, I was thinking about it. And I'm like, had that been me, I think I'd be done. I think Josh would be preaching. Like, I think I would have gone under the water and the river would have taken me. Because I just, I haven't been working out. I haven't been doing that. But, you know, Josh has got some arms on him. And so he like, he pulled himself up and it saved his life in that moment. Here's the thing. We live this life where, where God is trying to show us who we are. And the, here, this is the point. The refining process shows us what we're made of. It shows us what we're made of. If you don't know anything about the refining process, it's, it's a simple process. They simply add a, a high amount of heat to, uh, to a rock or, or maybe it's a, it's a piece of gold or whatever it is and it's not quite purified. They add, add a lot of heat to it and that will boil out the impurities. They'll come to the surface. And, and the people in this time, they would have understood this as they're making different things out of metal and trying to, trying to get precious metal out of the ground. So this is what happens in the refining process. You add heat and then the impurities come to the surface and that's what God is doing in our lives. Some of you are going through some really difficult things. You've got some heat being applied to your life. And some of the impurities are showing up. You're seeing some of, the, some of the mess that's inside of you. And it's coming out in ways that you're not super proud of. So, so this refining process, it shows us what we're made of. It, it shows us who we truly are. And if you add heat to a piece of gold, the impurities will come to the surface. And you'll be left with pure, refined gold. But if you simply add heat to a rock, you're going to end up with molten rock. And that's what happens as well, where you may think that you have a strong faith. You may think, no, I'm Brian, I'm a believer in Jesus. I follow Jesus. But then the heat is applied to your life. You go through something difficult, you know, or maybe you're challenged to do something. Maybe there's an opportunity that you're given and you don't do it. 
and, and you start realizing the heat's being applied, but there's no precious metal being revealed. You're starting to realize like there is no true faith. So as a believer, here's what, I, here's what we're going to pray about. Here's what I ask God to do is that he would do two things. He would reveal to us who we are and that he would make us more like him. Let's pray together as we start. Jesus, um, could you just be here in this place, God? Every seat in this room has been prayed over. We've asked, God, that you would speak to each individual here in a way that would change us. God, we, uh, we, we could be doing a lot of things this morning, and we don't want to waste our time here, God. So could we hear your word? God, would you just get me out of the way, God? And, and would you speak in a way that I can't to the hearts of the people in this room? God, transform us and change us. Give us a vision for better things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've been fighting off a cold, so I'm going to drink a lot of water. I hope that's okay. But uh, if you guys don't know me, um, I'm, I'm a musician. I love music. I've been preaching uh, here for about a year and two or three months, uh, which has been cool. But I, before that, I was leading worship, which now uh, Mr. Mason is doing an amazing job with his team. And, uh, and so I kind of miss that sometimes because music is powerful in my life. Um, when I'm trying to figure things out, when things aren't going well, when I'm trying to kind of make sense of my life, sometimes I just need to listen to a good song. Some of, you, some of you relate to that, where just the right song at just the right time can, can do a work inside you. So music has a special place in my heart, and, um, but it wasn't always that way. I know a lot about, I got my Johnny Cash shirt on today. I know a lot about music now, but when I was younger, I didn't really care too much about it. And I remember in, uh, in, in grade school, like fifth or sixth grade, I started thinking, maybe I want to play the guitar. That'd be kind of cool. But I didn't know much about it. I didn't know too many bands or whatever. And, and so I go to school one day, and my music teacher, she's this, like, crazy old hippie lady. She was awesome. She was always wearing tie-dye, and she, you know, had been to, like, Woodstock. She had this great story. But, you know, she's like, hey, kids, we're going to play guitar. And so here's, you know, whatever, 11- or 12-year-old Brian. And I'm like, awesome. This is so cool. We're going to learn to play guitar. So she pulls out her guitar, and it's like the 12-string classical. And I'm like, this is cool. We're going to play guitar. So she sits down with it, and she's, she's like, okay, class, we're going to learn a song called Dust in the Wind. And I'm like, Dust in the Wind, that sounds great. What is it? It's going to be out. So she starts, like, singing it, and she starts playing it. And I'm like, this is horrible. Why would anybody want to play guitar? This sounds so, I, I, don't, even, I don't even care about this music. I don't like this music. Like, I, I want nothing to do with it. And so I left that day going, yeah, guitar is a waste of time. I want nothing to do with that. Well, the next year we moved to a new place. Now I'm in junior high school, and my parents were like, hey, we want you to learn an instrument, want to play guitar, and so they bought me an electric guitar. So I'm like, oh, this is cooler. It's shinier uh, than the other one I saw, so that's cool, uh, but I didn't know what to do with it or how to play, you know, some like smoke on the water, you know, trying to figure out some different songs, a little bit of Green Day. This was Green Day time, right? Uh, so I'm learning some Green Day, and so my parents are like, we're going to get you lessons. And I'm like, okay, great, whatever. I'll go take some lessons. And so they take me to this, this music store, and, and uh, my teacher comes out from behind, and he's got this, like, the world's best mullet. I mean, really nice mullet. And he comes out, and he's like, okay, come on back. And he's got this little bitty room. It's like 1,000 degrees in there. We both sit down with a little amp, and he's got his electric guitar, and I've got mine. He goes, well, what do you want to play? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to play. What should I play? And he's like, well, let's just play something. He's like, I'm going to, so he sits down, gets his guitar. He's like, I'm going to show you a song by a guy named Eddie Van Halen. And I'm like, Eddie Van Halen, awesome. I don't know who he is. That sounds great. Let's learn some. And he starts playing this music, and I'm like, 
this is amazing. I mean, like the, the, the rocker inside of me, like the metalhead just started coming to life. And I'm like, this is a, so then he starts playing like some Metallica and, and he's like, he's just blowing my mind. And this guy was super talented, like amazing musician and, and just doing a great job. And so like, I remember leaving that first day and I'm like, I want to play guitar. I want nothing more than to play the guitar. And I had all these friends too, that, that said they wanted to play guitar too. And so we all were going to lessons at different places. And over the next few months, I just got better and better. And I was like spending every waking minute playing guitar, working on scales. I mean, just giving up everything that I had to try to learn how to play guitar. And then I started noticing my buddies are like selling their guitars to buy, you know, Super Nintendos. And, and I'm like, what's going on? Why aren't you guys playing? And, and I, I figured this out. They were like, they were talking about their classes, their lessons. And they're like, yeah, I learned Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, you know, uh, and I learned like you know, Dust in the Wind. You know, like they're, they're like, this is what I'm learning at my, see, my teacher, he understood this 13-year-old boy was not going to keep playing guitar if he was just going to teach me like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and Dust in the Wind. He realized like I needed, I needed a better vision. And so every time I went to class, he would blow my mind with some song. He just would like show me how awesome it could be. And I just left there motivated. And so while my buddies are all playing Super Nintendo, I'm in my bedroom figuring out how to play stuff on guitar. And I got pretty decent at it because this guy understood we need a better vision. I, I feel like as the church, here's, here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever seen what could be in the life of somebody who's truly following hard after Christ. Like, have you ever seen somebody that, that really is following at hard after Jesus and you think, I kind of want their life. I kind of want the way that they live. I, I kind of want more of that in me. And I think the world needs more people like that. I think if your friends and your neighbors could catch a vision for what it could be, if you truly follow the ways of Jesus, there's going to be a movement and, and like revival in our city. That's where it comes from is when you guys are living this out in a way that people are compelled to ask questions. Like you are so different that I got to ask, like what is this about? But if you're like me, um, you're like, that's cool, Brian, but I don't know if I can really do that. That's great, Brian, but I don't know if I could really motivate anybody. Um, I don't know if I even have the motivation myself to do any of that. And so you find yourself like, like Paul in Romans 7:18. He says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So, so Paul identifies this tension and, and, and scripture kind of talks about like there's, there's almost like two different, two different natures that wage war inside of us. There's sort of this flesh nature where you're like, okay, so I've been made holy, and yet I still kind of want this stuff over here. If we're honest, um, sin can be kind of fun sometimes. Sin can, can, can draw us. I mean, there's things about it that we think that's going to be the better thing. So we still have that within us, and yet we're also given this new nature in Christ. And so if you're like Paul and like me, you find yourself going like, this is what I want, but this is what I do. And so there's this, this war inside of you between these two worlds. And so we want to figure out, can we get better? Can this really happen? And how does it happen? So and we're going to walk through some questions about this in this series, some questions that popped into my, my mind about uh, the refining process and becoming sanctified. The first is this, when should it begin? Okay, Brian, so when does this happen? When does this start? There's this idea, so like I said, you're given a new heart, 
Christ has changed you, and that means that now you have this new way of approaching the world. And so that is the beginning of the sanctification process. And sanctification, like I said, is just obeying God, where you start to become more like Christ. That's what we want to do. But here's the problem. Um, We don't always start into the process. There are people all over the world, probably in our church and in many other churches, who have been given a new heart and nothing else has changed. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, I want to read this for you guys. Because you may relate to this a lot today. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So clearly there were some problems in this church, jealousy, strife, amongst other things. And he's like, hey, listen, here's, here's where you're at, church. You had a moment of realization that you needed salvation. You needed to be rescued. And you said, I want it. You prayed that prayer that one time. You came to church. You were emotional. You went home. You, you were like, okay, this is it. This is, the, this is, this is when my life's going to change. And since then, nothing has happened. Now, spiritual infancy is really good. It's really important. Some of you are here today and you're a spiritual infant because you just got saved. Amen to that. Praise God that you just got saved, that you're new into the faith, and you're a spiritual infant. You're like, I don't know what I should be doing, but I love Jesus. And I'm like, awesome. That's that's great. Be a spiritual infant. Everybody loves infants. We are glad that kids are people aren't born as like 35-year-old adults, right? Ladies, right, glad that they're infants. Little, small, like helpless little things, as small as possible, right? So you ladies are glad that that they're born infants. Infancy is okay. So that's cute until they're 35 and still acting like an infant, right? That's not so cute. It's not so cute when you're 35 and acting like a child. At that point, it's like something should change, right? Something should be different. But the truth is, for many people, you may be in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and you might have prayed some prayer or, or had some kind of conversion experience when you were in, in your teen years or in your 20s or 30s, and you are literally still a spiritual infant. This is why, like, spiritual maturity knows no age. I've met 20-year-olds that are way more mature than 60-year-old believers that I know. So, so it doesn't matter what age you are, if you're going to develop and you're going to grow, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some work. What, what do we do then, Brian? Like, how do we grow? I don't want to be an infant. Oh, you know, I want, to, I want to grow up a little bit. Um, if I had to boil it down to one thing, like the difference between somebody that I know that has, has uh, become a believer and grown and somebody over here who, you know, prayed and said, God, come into my life and nothing has changed, I would, I would bring it down to one thing that I see that's different from the outside and that's community. It's community. The difference is this. This guy over here that changed, has grown up, it's like, okay, so I've, I've matured, and I'm seeing God working in my life. I'm starting to become more obedient to God. I'm starting to long after the things that God longs for. That person is in community. They know people who are farther along than them that they've spent time with. They have, they have grown, they have, they've studied it, but they've done it in community. You guys, listen, the Word of God wasn't ever intended to just be read on your own. It was always intended to be read in community. I mean, if you just try to do this thing on your own, you're going to end up with some pretty wacky theology. I'll tell you this every time. 
Every time people isolate themselves and just study and pour over the Bible and don't do it in community, it gets really weird. It just does. It just will get weird. You need people around you that can grow. And we know this to be the case. We know in any other area of our life, if, if you want to be a good leader, then you will find the leaders in your life that are better at it than you are. You find that guy that people just follow them, flock to them. Like when they speak, people are listening. And you're like, I want to be a better leader. And so you watch that guy. You spend time with that guy. You ask him like, hey, can we meet for coffee? Can we spend time together? You just know how to do that. You know? So that's how you grow. If you, if you want to be a better mom, if you're like, Brian, I just, I want to grow as a mom, then you need to call your little mommy crush that you think is amazing, that mom that like, you know, seems like she doesn't yell at her kids, it seems like, you know, she's got dinner on the table in the evening, you know, maybe she's got a job too, and like, man, it's like, how does she do all this stuff, and I feel like I just, I'm freaking out every morning, it's just anger, 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 sleep, anger, 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 sleep. like that's my life, I just want to be around this woman who seems to be okay with, see, we know this to be true in every other area, and then we're like, oh yeah, it's icy out, church. You know, you guys though, you guys have nailed that today. So well done. You showed up. So this is for the people that are listening on the podcast, but um, I'm just kidding. Sort of. Not really. Um, Anyway, so we know to get around people that will help us. We know that to be true, but then we isolate ourselves because we don't want to deal with the awkwardness. We don't want to get shot down. Uh, We know that being in community is difficult sometimes. Being in tight relationships with people is hard. But you guys, it's so worth it. So worth it. See, if you want to begin in the process, you're going to get in community. You're going to make it a priority in your life. Number two, uh, question number two, who does the work? Okay, so I started this process. Now, uh, whose job is to make this happen? Um, I want you to start with what we talked about last week, which was that Jesus is our rescuer. When we were helpless and in need of a Savior, he saved us. So the beginning of salvation comes from you realizing that your efforts are not enough. That's a hard thing to realize. For some of you, you're like, I know that to be true. But for others in this room, that's a hard pill to swallow because you're an achiever. Like, you know how to get stuff done. You know, how to, you know how to make things happen in your life. And you don't need anybody's help. And so the idea that I'm not enough is just hard to swallow, but, but you have to swallow that. If you're, if you're going to enter into this process of salvation, if you're going to get rescued, it means you just stop struggling and you just say, God, help me. I'm not enough. And so that's the first step. Now we enter into Jesus being, he was our rescuer. Now he's our refiner. We have to understand the same thing to be true in this refining process. Your efforts are not enough. And you know this because you could list to me a whole list of things that you've been trying to stop doing and a whole list of things that you've been trying to start doing, how's that going for you? Like, is it, have you nailed it? Uh, you, you haven't. None of us have. We've all got a list of things that we are trying to start doing, things that we wish we could stop doing. The reality is our efforts are never enough. They just aren't. As, as, well, as hard as we try, and, and although we may have success sometimes, it's almost always temporary, and it's never enough. What do we need? We need, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. So uh, here's, here's the Holy Spirit. Um, if you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Trinity is, uh, is a term for God being in three persons, the Father, the, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's just as much of God as the, as the Son, as much as he is the Father. He's an equal part of, of the Trinity. 
It's not like you've got God, you know, the son, the Father, the Son, and then the Spirit is the, you know, the awkward uncle that you don't want to show up to Thanksgiving dinner. Um, that's kind of how Christians treat the Holy Spirit as we talk about it. It's like, I don't know how to talk about the Holy Spirit. Does that mean people are like freaking out and like rolling around on the floors? Does that mean I have to like, you know, raise my hands? Like, what does it mean if the Holy Spirit is inside of me? You know, I have to dance. You could use some more dancing in church, I'll be honest. But what does this actually look like? Amen to more dancing. Let's do more dancing. What does this actually look like to have the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit? Because there's this idea that when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. He convicted you of your sin, convicted you of who you are from the outside. But when you invite God into your life, God says, I'm going to give you my spirit to empower the work that I've called you to do. So the spirit is like the fuel for you to do all the things that you want to do. All that stuff that you want to stop doing, all the things you want to start doing. The Holy Spirit, he is the fuel for you to do any of that. You just, you can't do it alone. So we need the Holy Spirit. Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians uh, 5.18. I want you to go to that, that passage. This is a great passage about the Spirit. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So this is the passage that your mom pulled out of the Bible when you were leaving to go to your senior party, right? It's like, don't be drunk on wine, beer, anything. It's like, be good, right? So that's that verse. Parents love this verse. Bible says it. Don't get drunk. Now, that's good. So, but here's the thing. This passage isn't so much about the wine. It's not so much about the wine as it is about the Spirit. So certainly in their day, people were abusing alcohol. Um, they were drinking too much, and they were losing control of themselves. So here's my question. What does it take to get drunk? you got to drink a lot, right? I mean, you can't, you can't just take a sip of wine and be totally drunk, can you? I mean, you can't. You have to drink a lot of it to actually get drunk. So what, what was happening there, and I think what happens now, is there's a lot of people that are just kind of taking a little sip of the Holy Spirit. And it's just just enough, like, I don't know, I'm like, what do you call it? Like a, like, a, like, a, like a spirit buzz. Like you just kind of want just enough to feel buzzed, but not enough to lose control. Right? I can still drive home, right? I'm still in control here. I don't really want to lose myself in this. I just want enough to kind of feel a little bit better about myself. And so you like, you accept Christ, you say, okay, change my heart. Then you're like, okay, Holy Spirit, um, you can have this, but all this stuff is mine. All this stuff, but you can have this right here. That's, that's totally good. So you, you got like a little, little spirit buzz. You're like, that's cool. Look, uh, I'm not doing that one thing anymore. That's cool. Um, but then you got all this stuff over here. Whereas what he's saying here is, I don't want you to just take a sip of the spirit. I want you to lose control. I want you to let the Spirit of God drive your decisions, drive your life in every area, in this stuff as well as in this thing. So drink in the Spirit of God. What, is this, what does that look like? You might be like, is it, drink it. Like, what, that just seems like a weird illustration. It means to, to simply start to obey God and to love the things that God loves in a way that will draw out the Spirit in your life. To be filled with the Spirit, you don't have to freak out on the floor. You don't have to raise your hands. To be filled with the Spirit means to be somebody who's consumed by the God, by, by God Himself, and you're just going to respond to whatever God calls you to do. It may be to raise your hands. It may be to dance. I mean, dance if you want to. You can dance if you want to. Um, just couldn't help myself. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's going to mean that you have literally lost control. You've given up control to God. And you've said, okay, God, you will drive me. 
and your decisions will outweigh my decisions. And if I think I want to go this way, but you say that way, we're going that way every time. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, and that's a process. That's a process. That's not something, although you get the Spirit, when you, when you get saved, there's this filling of the Spirit that happens for the rest of your life. And some people have said, you get filled with the Spirit, and then He kind of leaks out, which is kind of how it works for many of us. It's like, yeah, I was super on fire. I was super excited about what God was doing in my life. You know, I saw my friends get saved. I was telling everybody about Jesus. I, I saw amazing things happen, you know, and then life got kind of hard. And, uh, you know, then I went through a divorce, and you know, then I had some health issues, and since then I haven't really thought a whole lot about it. And so you've sort of leaked, and you've sort of forgotten what it means to give the Spirit authority in your life. Drink him in, is what Paul is saying. Drink him in. Question number three, what does this look like? What does this actually look like, Brian? It's probably simpler than, than we make it. I just wrote this down, this little paragraph, because I think this describes it pretty well. This looks like a grace-saturated life of discipline training to become more like Christ by choosing what he says are the best things for myself, my family, and my community through the power and guidance of friends, mentors, and the Holy Spirit within me. That's it. Is that, is that doable? Can we do that? I think we can do that. I think we can do that. A grace-saturated life, it starts with that. It starts with coming back to what you've been saved from and towards, that God has saved you from all of this mess towards better things, and you didn't deserve it. It wasn't because you helped that old lady across the street. It wasn't because you stopped cheating on your taxes. You know, it wasn't because you did anything or stopped doing anything. By God's grace, you have been healed. Just by his grace. Because he's good. Because he loves you. So that's, it's that simple. So you start with that. And if you don't start with that and move forward, you're just going to end up being really religious and doing a lot of really good things for all the wrong reasons. So you start with grace. Start with the heart. Start with what we talked about last week. Then it says, a grace-saturated life of discipline training. Just like Josh, you know, he's been working every morning, every day. And, and that showed in that moment. It saved his life. See, that's what discipline training does. It will save your life in those moments where you know like, okay, and some of you experienced this where you would have done something, that old you would have done something different in this moment. And you've tasted what it's like to, to have success. Be like, man, you know what, honey, the old me would have just flipped out, started slamming doors and ran out of the house. But the new me, because of what Christ has done in me, I, I had a little more patience. I still freaked out, but I didn't slam doors. Amen. Like that's a win. That's a win. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I'm going to thank God for that. That's, that's better. So, I mean, that's success. It's a grace-saturated life, discipline training to become more like Christ by choosing what he says. It's a choice. Life is just this series of choices. Choosing what he says are the best things for myself. Not okay things, you know. The best things. The absolute best things for myself, for my family and my community. This is so important because I think that we, we oftentimes don't change because we're just thinking about what's going to be better for us. Many of us only are motivated by ourselves. Like, well, I don't really have to get better. But we forget that when you're not operating on all cylinders, when you're not operating in the Spirit, and you are part of what's called the body of Christ, we all feel that. We all feel that. That's why, that's why he calls it a body. Like, when you're a little sick, spiritually speaking, we feel the sickness. Just as much as when your foot is in pain, we feel the pain. It hurts the body. And understand this too, like the community is shaped by people. 
And so as the church functions in the power of the Spirit, we will change the face of this city. How about that? As you guys operate in the power of the Spirit, as you start to let God be the one driving your life, making those types of decisions, as a mass of people, part of ACF Church, and hopefully other churches in our city are doing this, we will change the face of our community. It will be different. And it starts with you. It starts with you simply letting go and letting God take care of your life and trusting him. So what does it actually look like? The first one I have is separation from the world. Sanctification literally means to be set apart. To be set apart. Separation from the world. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy. Set apart. Made new. That, these are words that define you now. And so we should literally look different than the people around us. We should be set apart from the world. There are things that you're going to do that your friends will think are crazy. There are things that you don't do that your friends are going to think you should be doing. That is the life of a believer. If those things don't exist, then you're not separated from the world. They should exist. They should exist, driven by what God calls us through through His Spirit and through the Word. We should be separated from the world. Next thing is separation toward God. Towards God. You're not just pulled away from being like the world. You're also separated towards God as a worshiper. Your heart should be changed, and you should be somebody who's separated towards God. Matthew 15, 8 says, This people uh, honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines uh, of commandments of men. And so it's, it's basically saying there is a way to do all of the right religious things, to show up here, and when the band gets up, to sing all the good songs, you know, like to, to, to identify yourself, I'm a Christian, and yet to not actually truly be separated towards God to be a worshiper who honors God with your lips and with your life. And then the third one is this. I don't think it's in your notes, but I felt like we needed a, a third one. Separation from the world towards God, separation in the world. From the world towards God in the world. Jesus says this. This is like one of his last things that he asked God to do before his ascension. John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So Jesus says literally this, you guys need to be with your friends. You need to be in the community. He is speaking against isolationism. That, that you would say, okay, Christians, we love Jesus. Let's go build a compound in the middle of nowhere in Alaska and let's huddle up together. Let's start small groups and hang out with our other Christian friends. Let's just read the Bible a lot and do nothing about it. Jesus is like, I don't ask you, God, that you would take them out of the world. I ask that you would protect them in it. That you, that the church is like, you know, you guys are soldiers at war. But, but you're okay because Jesus says that, that God's going to protect you in it. You're going to be okay. So don't isolate yourselves. Don't pull away from those friends that make you uncomfortable, you know. People don't need that. They need you to love them where they are. They need you to love them right where they are. Last question is this, as we close. So what keeps us from getting better? What are the barriers? I want to I start with just where we began last week. Maybe Jesus hasn't rescued you. Maybe you haven't asked him to. 
Maybe you have not truly said, I want to surrender myself to Christ. You've only said, I just want to stay away from hell. So it begins there simply saying, I'm going to surrender myself to Christ. I'm going to give myself to God. You come into my life, change me. I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know all the details. I don't know that much theology. It doesn't matter. I just want to be surrendered to you. It starts with that. But maybe you're still an infant. The first thing I think that uh, gets in the way is pride. Um, I'm kind of proud, to be honest. I'm kind of proud. I'm kind of self-sufficient. Um, I feel pretty good about my own abilities. I feel like maybe I can do a lot of things on my own. Simply pride. Life's just not bad enough for you yet to drive you into the heart of Christ. Like you just, you're just like, I'm okay. It's just not bad enough yet for me to really need Jesus. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's ignorance. Maybe you don't read your Bible anymore, or maybe you never started. Maybe you don't want to go to a small group and have these conversations, because every time you do, you get convicted. And that stinks, right? I mean, nothing stinks more than leaving church like you might today and going home and going, man, something's got to change in my life, right? That's it's hard. And so what you start doing is you start isolating and pulling away, and you choose ignorance so that you don't, it's like plausible deniability, right? I don't know, so I'm not wrong. It doesn't work that way with God. wish it did. Ignorance. Maybe it's sin. Maybe there's something in your life that you've given, given Satan power in your life, and you've said, hey, I'm not going to worry about this thing. I'm just going to leave it alone. And that is the one thing that is getting in the way of you communicating with God. God is like, I want that. You're like, no, but you can have this. And God's like, no, that's what I want. And so you're in this, this battle. And you've let this thing into your life that you know needs to go away. Or maybe this thing that needs to start that you've chosen not to start. I don't know what it is. Fear, maybe it still comes back to this, is God's way really better? Is it really better? Do I really believe that if I choose the things of God in this world, it's going to be better? I hope you do. And, and, the, and the last one, I, this, is, this is me, uh, lack of desire. Just, let's just be honest. We're lazy sometimes. We're lazy about our faith. It's a simple lack of desire to get better. We're simply floating through life. And understand this, if you're just floating around in life, you're never going to drift towards holiness. You're always going to drift away from it. This has shown itself to be so true in my life. If you're not being intentional about your faith, you're going to find things seeping into your life that you didn't know were going to seep in. If you just put it on cruise control, you will end up in the ditch. Every time. Every time. We don't naturally drift towards holiness. Remember, that's where we started. We, at our core, are sinful. And that's what we're going to choose every time. So don't just drift around. Be intentional. Be on purpose in your faith. There are churches, you guys, all over our city that, and all over our world that look no different than the world around them. You guys, I don't want to be that church. I want us to, to be a church on mission that looks so dramatically different from the world around us. That people are like, man, the grace that pours out of the people at ACF Church is compelling. I just want to find out more about that. They're like, all I've seen in Christians is, you know, like dust in the wind, right? Dust in the wind Christians. It's like, ah, I don't want anything to do with that. But these people over here, that's a vision. I don't know, I don't know what's inside of them, but I want to be a part of that. You guys, you are like walking billboards for Christ. That's what you're supposed to do. And as he changes you, you're going to be casting that vision to the people around you.
I'm going to close with this. So, so like this last week, my wife Amanda went in for a minor surgery. Um, and it wasn't a big deal. Um, it's supposed to be like in and out 40 minutes. And doctor's like, hey, it's pretty routine and stuff. But my wife Amanda is in the medical field. And so that means she knows the, uh, the worst case scenario for every situation. Uh, she does medical coding. I don't, know if, I don't even know what that is at this point. But um, medical coding, some of you know what it is. But she, uh, she always sees these horrible, horrible things happen. And so she always knows, like, the worst thing. And, and so we're, we're there in the hospital, and, you know, they got her on the bed, and they're starting to pump drugs into her, and she's getting kind of stoned, right? And, and so, which is fun, because I can mess with her. And she's getting ready to leave, and, and I'm like, okay, well, we'll see you later. Kissed her on her cheek, and off she went. And, and she said, like before, she said, you know, I, I know this guy, um, who went under anesthesia and he just never woke up. And so as she's wheeling away, I'm just thinking, man, I know this is just kind of a normal experience, but what if this really was it? What if this really was it? And I started running through my head like all of the things, all of the should-haves, right? Have you been there? All of the, what would I think I should have done with my wife? What are the things that I should have said more? What are the things that I should have done more in my marriage that, that will hit me if something went horribly wrong? And I don't really live like this. And I want to live like this more, not just with my family, but with my God. Because understand, like, time is going to go quickly, you guys. It's just going so fast. And you will never be known for the things you plan to do someday. Nobody ever has been known for, the, for their, only their dreams. People are known for what they do. They're known for the steps that they take towards their dreams the things that they accomplish. And so, you guys, that's what I want for us as a church. I want us to be known not for the things that we should do or for the things that we hope to do one day, but for the things we actually do right now. You have people in your life. You have family in your life. You have a city. You have a church. You have all kinds of opportunities to express the grace of God in disciplined ways that will help your family and your friends and your community. So that's my prayer for you today. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, uh, we just come together and confess that um, we desire lesser things. God, sometimes I just, uh, I'd rather choose the distorted version of what you've given me than the best version. God, I confess that I'm lazy many times. I'm, I'm proud and self-sufficient. And uh, God, I trust in my own efforts. Father, would you remind us all of what we need to be rescued from? For those who have been saved, God, would you remind them of that moment of salvation, that moment, God, that you came in and you washed them clean and said, listen, your past is gone as if it's never happened. God, so could we just know that in a deep level that would compel us to, to make tough choices, to walk in the discipline that it's going to take, to be refined, to be changed, to be more like Jesus. God, could you give us the guts to make hard choices? When we're convicted, God, could we, instead of rejecting that conviction, receive it and respond to it? We love you, God. We want to be a church that is on mission in our city, God. We want to be a gathering of people who have been transformed by the gospel. God, I pray that we would all be changed by you today. 
Give us grace in the journey and help us to do it together. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.